Hey, y'all. It's been a while since I've been with you, but I'm so thankful to be back, back to health, or at least heading the right direction, and back on my podcast. It's been a long month of July, but I'm thankful to have the strength to be back in the office and to get the microphone out and to be with you once again. I do apologize as you listen to the podcast. It's been a while, so I forgot to unplug my fish tank. So as you're listening, if you've got this sudden urge to go scuba diving or head to the beach, that's because my saltwater tank is making some noise in front of me. So if you can bear with that in the background, I trust this podcast will be an encouragement and blessing to you. Hey everyone and welcome to Drake Talks, a podcast that gives me the opportunity to talk and you the opportunity to listen to what I'm talking about. And today you get to listen to the subject of silence. How many of you have ever been told that silence is golden? Or possibly your parents let you know that kids were created to be seen and not heard. But often we use this idea of silence as a crutch not to have the conversations we know we need to be having, possibly with a spouse or with our children or with a coworker or with a friend in church, maybe even with a, a fellow employee. And we we take the silent, um, oh, we take the the Fifth Amendment, and we keep our mouth shut when we should be speaking. So I want to talk about this idea of silence today, and when should we speak? And we'll be looking at some different practical things, but just think about some scriptural examples. You know, when Eve was tempted in the Garden of Eden by the serpent, Adam most likely was right there with her, and as she's being tempted by this snake, he remains silent, and we all know the fallout of that. Abraham comes home, and Sarai is having a day of doubt, and she's failed to believe the promises of God, and she doesn't think she's ever going to be able to conceive and have a child. So giving in to those doubts, she approaches her husband and says, hey, you need to sleep with Hagar tonight, and Abraham gives in and remains silent. But then the opposite is also true. Think about Nabal and Abigail. Nabal curses David and goes against him. David's men come back to tell him. Abigail sees what's happened and she determines it's not best to remain silent. And so she goes and she intercedes and speaks to David and saves her life and the life of her family. What would have happened if she would have remained silent? Job's wife comes to him and says, listen, you just need to curse God and die. How many of you out there today are so thankful Job didn't do that? We would have the book of Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 and not have that wonderful book at our hands had he listened to his wife, but he didn't. And he spoke up in response and said, shall we not get, receive good from the hand of God and, and not evil as well? And Job did not sin with his lips. Praise the Lord, Job did not remain silent. So how many times in life should we speak up when we have remained silent? Many of us, even though we say we put our foot in our mouth all the time and we are more like Peter, we say things we shouldn't and, you know, I'm always saying something that offends somebody or I wish I wouldn't have said or I posted something I shouldn't have posted or, you know, we we do these things like, oh, why did I say that or, oh, why did I do that? But when we, we look at who we are and we look at the things that we say and we look at the things that we talk about and we look at the things we wish we wouldn't have said... The problem is, I believe that we say way too much of the things that don't matter, 
and we remain silent with the important conversations. If you are married, maybe you're early in your marriage, you're young in your marriage, and and there's things that that you know that that should be brought up in the home and that you know that you need to deal with with your spouse, but you remain silent. You just hope it goes away and you hope it never comes up. Maybe you have children in their teen years, and man, it's time to talk to them about purity and about pictures and about texting and about boys or about girls, and it's just easier to hope they figure out on their own and to remain silent. And so many times in life when when people need to hear from us the most, we remain silent. Why? Maybe we're embarrassed to have the conversation. Maybe we think that no matter what we say, it won't be the right thing. Maybe we think we'll say the wrong thing and lead them astray. You know, maybe maybe it's just because our human nature wants to run from talking about our past experiences, talking about what they're going through and say, hey, I figured it out on my own. They can figure it out on their own as well. You know, my dad threw me in the pool and said, swim, son. They can swim, sink or swim, right? But that is not God's intent. You see, God has given us all a story to tell. Man, our lives are a story lived that we can share with others so they can learn from us and and learn from our mistakes and learn from the things that we did right. And so they won't have to go through necessarily what we did, and they can learn from that. It's okay to share our story to help somebody else out. Why are we remaining silent? Why are we not sharing our story? Now, you say, man, there's things about my past and things about my story, Trey. I don't want anyone to know. That's fine. Leave out the details, but you can still tell the story. I think about my family. I'm a spicer. If I would walk into my hometown, it would I wouldn't be there long until people would know pretty quickly of what family I was from. I have the look, the attitude, Okay, I I am a spicer, and they're going to know that. But that group of spicers is the only spicers I know, right from my hometown. My great grandma lived till she was, I believe, a hundred or two or a hundred and three. And I remember as a high schooler sitting there on her front porch and listening to some stories from her, and maybe hearing grandpa tell a couple stories about how they grew up out on the farm where they lived. But other than that, I honestly knew nothing of my family heritage. I knew nothing about where we came from. I knew nothing about the Spicers. So in 2019, when I was under another Crohn's um, episode and sick, I decided I would lay in bed all day and do nothing. So why not subscribe to Ancestry.com and get a little history about the Spicers? So that's what I did. And I paid the 20 bucks a month and I started to research who I was. I wanted to know my past. I wanted to know the story. I wanted to know why I am, who I am, where we came from and what the story is. And man, it was fascinating to go back and to see my family history, to to trace all the way back to where we came from. And honestly, our family goes all the way back to William the Conqueror coming into England where he bought th- brought three spicers with him, his trusted, loyal um, co- co-workers, I guess you could say, in Normandy. And, and he, he brought us over to England, and we got established in England, and then the spicers became rulers in Essex, 
there in England, and our family shield and crest is still there. We have worked with and been loyal to the king and the queen for hundreds of years, so much so that when the new land was discovered, that the Spicers got a huge track of land in New England area because of their loyalty and service to the queen. So we came here, we, we established in the, the Northeast, and then during the Civil War, a Spicer decided he wanted to fight in the Civil War for the cause. And he was taken to a prison camp in Ohio, and from there he settled in the New Straitsville area, and my family has been there since the Civil War, never to leave. But as you follow my family history, we have been politicians, and there is all kinds of documented material of speeches and lectures and, and parliament um, procedures that Spicers have been involved in. And it's just amazing to see where we go. So when I found all that out, man, I could not wait to sit down with my boys and my girls and tell them, listen, this is who you are. This is your family heritage. This is where you've come from. This is what's inside of you. Okay, you come from a line of politicians. You come from a line of people who have been in the public. So, so go ahead and start thinking this direction right now because these are your roots. These are your people. Now, does that mean that's going to happen? No. I mean, obviously, Sean Spicer in the realm of politics has followed that in, the, in, in his role. And it doesn't mean that we have to do it, but, but it's important to know our past, our roots, where we have come from why we are who we are. And I believe so many times that, that we remain silent in those areas. You know, I am today who I am because who I was. And who I was, my children and people around me and, and people that I am mentoring need to know because that's who I was that helped me to become who I am. But again, that's stuff that, that we remain silent on. I've been reading a book titled Living the Braveheart Life. Living the Braveheart Life was written by Randall Wallace. Fascinating book. I encourage you to read it. But but Randall Wallace was talking about the same thing about his heritage. And, and he knew some people had moved to Scotland from Tennessee. Um, but that's all he knew. He had no idea if his family was from Scotland. He had no idea where he came from. He said, I was very disconnected when it came to my, my family tree. And he says this in his book, All I knew of my father's people was that they came from Lizardlick, Tennessee. The men in my father's house, my father's family were Alton, Elton, Dalton, Layman, Gleeman, Herman, Thurman, and Clyde. They called Clyde Pete, and nobody knows why. I'm not making this up. But they were all on the roadside of the family. The history of the Wallaces that I knew of hit a wall at the death of Jesse, my daddy's daddy, and I knew nothing more. There was a huge disconnect in my knowledge of heritage. They were the death of my grandfather before my father was born and the mysterious silence of my mother concerning her own lineage. So what he decided to do then was he was going to find out who he was and if he really came from Scotland. So he says it was to Scotland that I headed and my pregnant wife was in tow. 
We went to Edinburgh, the most picturesque of British cities, and we walked into the castle there simply because I love castles and history and and windswept pinnacles like the one where this castle sat. We just started through the main entrance, an archway into the courtyard of the castle, and I stopped short. Flanking the entrance were two bold statues. One was Robert the Bruce, Scotland's most famous king. The other was a clearly the other was clearly a warrior clad in armor. The inscription at the base of the statue just said Wallace. I grabbed my wife's arm and I pointed to the statue and to and said to a passing guard, "This Wallace, this Wallace, who is he?" And the guard came and said, Wallace, this is William Wallace, our greatest hero. Greatest hero, Wallace. I glanced at my wife to see if she was impressed as I was. She wasn't. So this William Wallace, I asked, his dates overlap with Robert the Bruce? No one will ever know for sure, he said. And that was the start to the written transcripts and script play for what we know today as the movie Braveheart. Come to find out, Randall Wallace's great ancestor was William Wallace. And after research and after study and after seeing all that William Wallace was and hearing the folklore, he was able to put it together. And not only did did his life change, William Wallace's life changed Randall Wallace's life, and that's what he talks about in this book, but it also changed the way that he was able to see things and to see his family history. He he goes on and he says this. He says, They say a father's duty is to save the child from the mother, or at least to help him separate. I don't know if this is true. Surely the child must learn to move away from the identity of both father and mother in order to become an adult. But the hopes and fears of our parents, they shape us. The hopes and the fears of our parents, they they shape us. Do our kids know our hopes? I don't know. Do our kids know our fears? Honestly, your kids will pick up on your fears before you ever, ever speak of them. And the problem is in these areas, we remain silent. We choose not to speak. Why don't we talk about Scotland? Why didn't we talk about England? Why don't we talk about the family member that, that, that we knew came to Ohio from New England in the Civil War? Maybe it's because we're too busy. Maybe it's because we've got other things on our plate. Maybe we just don't care. But we need to stop remaining silent. Silence is a way out. Silence is a cop-out. Silence is not strength, okay? Silence, honestly, is weakness. Dr. Larry Crabb, in his book, Men of Courage, God's Call to Move Beyond the Silence of Adam, really nails this. And again, if you are looking for a good book to read and and you're a male listening to this, I suggest this book. But he says this about men. He said, men, often they refuse to let their wives express how lonely, hurt, and misunderstood they feel. Whatever concerns they do hear, they either fix or ignore. These men take their sons to ball games, but never take them for long walks. And they don't reveal their struggles to anyone, especially not their sons. Competent men neither listen well nor share openly. 
They may have good times with their daughters, lots of laughing, good nature, teasing, and angry promises to protect. But they have few conversations with them. They don't know much about intimacy, and they have no idea how to have a two-way talk. Let me suggest that a man is most authentically a man when he admits, I don't know what to do in this situation, but I know it's important that I get involved and do something I will therefore envision what God may want to see happen in this person's life or in this circumstance, and I will move toward that vision with whatever wisdom and power God supplies me. A strong man moves even when there are no recipes. You know, I think one of the reasons that we remain silent is because there is no Roman one, Roman numeral one, two, and three on how to have a legit talk with our children, how to be there for our wives, how to mentor a young man or a young woman in our church. And because of that, we have remained silent. Why the silence? You know, silence has been coming since the day of creation. When when Eve was tempted by Satan in Genesis chapter 3, the wording is very strongly suggesting that Adam was there. And if Adam is to be the protector of the garden and Adam is to be the protector of his wife, why did he stand back and just let Satan do his thing? Why did he stand back and just remain silent? Why didn't he step up to the aid of his wife? Why didn't he step up to the aid of those around him and and try to defend and, and try to hold Satan off? But he didn't. He remained silent. Why did Abraham remain silent when he came home and Sarah said, God's promises are void. What God says doesn't count. Abraham, sleep with Hagar tonight. And Abraham remained silent. When David's family was in a mess and Tamar was raped and and all that went down with Amnon and, and Absalom, why did David remain silent? Because it's easier. And because I will attest as husbands and as men and as fathers, they were weak. They remained silent. But what happens when someone speaks up? I think about Abigail. You know, her husband was a fool, the Bible says. And 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 he, he mouthed to David and said, who's David, yada, yada, and David was going to come and kill him. And Abigail stands up and comes to David and says, have mercy on us. Please don't hold this against me. My husband's a fool. Okay, please take all this as an offering and hold off your revenge. And David says, wow, you've saved me from myself and from shedding innocent blood. What would have happened if Abigail would have remained silent to her family? to her servants, to herself. But she didn't. She, she saw the sin in her home. She knew how to resolve it. She knew what she needed to do, and she got everybody on board in her wisdom, and she did it. And David honored her and blessed her because of her wisdom and what she did, because it was unusual to see someone not to remain silent. I've been trying to do better at this in the home. You know, just this week we had an incident and 
my my oldest son um, needed to apologize for something done, and he didn't feel that he needed to apologize for something that was done because it was quote unquote an accident. So I pulled him aside and, and I told him a story. I said, but let me tell you something that happened to me one time. And it was a story about here in the ministry and, you know, things just went awry and I wanted to blame everybody in the world for this problem. And I said, but you know what I had to do? I had to sit down with the leaders of the church and look them all in the eye. And I told them all, listen, it's my fault. I caused this issue. I should have been on top of it. I let it go. It's my fault. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. And I said, now, Coleman, I can look at that and, and I could blame everybody and we could justify it, why dad did what he did. But the bottom line is I had to take ownership because I was in charge as the leader and it was my fault. Now, I could have just told him, apologize to your sister and be done with it. But then we just go on. But by telling a story, a story is going to stick with him. A story is going to be something he remembers. Because it puts an image in his mind that he will be able to carry with him about taking ownership and saying you're sorry. And Lord willing, one day that will come back when he needs it. You see, we can take some mistakes and take things we've done and use them as stories to help people in their lives. Well, you, you know young couples right now, they're in their first couple years of marriage. Listen, you've got a lifetime of stories that you can share with them that if you could just think back on some things you've gone through in your marriage and take that young couple out and say, hey, let us tell you a couple stories and some lessons we've learned over the years that can help you in your marriage. Now, they might think they have it all figured out, but one day they're going to look back and be like, oh, I remember that story. You see, we can't remain silent. Why do others need to hear from us? Others need to hear from us, number one, because we all have a story to tell. Your life has been written by the hand of God. Your life is a story. Why would you want to keep that to yourself? Man, allow that story to be told. Told. Just imagine if, if, if the stories of, of the characters in our Bible were not told. I mean, we live by these stories. We glean from these stories. All these things were written for our learning. Maybe our lives are being written for the learning of others. And we remain silent, but we have a story to tell. I believe number two, one of the reasons we remain silent is because we, we fail to write the story. You say, wait a second, Trey, back up, time out. You said God writes a story, and now you're telling us that we need to write the story. I would highly encourage you to do some journaling, to sit down and to journal some stories of your life, to look back and to remember some things you've gone through and start jotting that down. Say, Trey, I, I have a hard time remembering. Then sit down each evening and just jot a little bit. Get up tomorrow morning or the morning after. And, and when you make the bed, put your journal on your pillow and determine I will not put my head on this pillow until I at least write a half a page. Listen, a half a page, depending on the size of the journal you buy, is not a lot. And, and so every morning you do that. You can't put your head on your pillow at night until you at least write a half a page. Before you know it, you're going to be writing three pages. You're going to be journaling your story that God is writing. And by journaling that, you're going to be more apt to be able to tell that story. We all have a story to tell. Life lessons can keep us from making the same stupid mistakes. 
okay? And and by writing things down, we can see that for these life lessons. And man, I, I don't want to make that same mistake again, but see, I can share that with somebody else and keep them from making the same mistake. And I, I can take these lessons I've learned and use it in the lives of others. Okay, number four, why others need to hear from us is because stories stick, okay? And people like to listen to stories, If you don't believe it, come to church Sunday morning and listen to me preach. But as soon as I start to tell a story, you're going to listen. I was listening to a pastor who tells no stories about his family whatsoever at all. Matter of fact, I've heard this man preach several times and his children are enigma to me. I know nothing about them. And so he's, he's teaching a lesson on preaching and I'm listening to it in my car and, and I'm driving and he says, Hey, I want to tell you a story about my son. Instantly, I grabbed my phone and I started to turn it up. And he's like, now all of you just sat up and your eyes got big and you just tuned into me when you've kind of been blanking out for the last couple minutes. He's like, I'm not going to tell a story about my son. I just want to show you the power of an illustration. And he was using it almost in a negative way of how we are more apt to listen to a story than the teaching of God's word. But the point is we are more apt to listen to a story. So we need to look at some of these things that we have gone through and be able to tell them as a story. I mean, my kids are famous for saying, Dad, not another mission story when they don't want to eat their food. And I tell them about kids on the mission field. I'm like, yes, another story from the mission field. Be quiet and listen. Number five, why do others need to hear from us? Because Titus says the older need to teach the younger. Man, we have a mission to teach others. I've got a young man. In his, in his mid-20s, teaching my children in Sunday school. Why? Because I want him to tell stories to them and relate to them. Okay, I take him out for coffee and tell him stories. Why? Because I want him to be able to relate my stories to them. You see, we're teaching the younger, and the younger are teaching the younger, and we're committing to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And those ladies' Bible studies, telling stories. Listen, we've got a story to tell. Why are we silent? In our homes, we need to not be silent with sin. In our homes, we need to have those intimate conversations with our children. In our homes, we need to be letting them know the truth about purity and sexuality and, and, and sexting and, and videos and, and how do we respond when, when a boy asks us for a picture. We need to be involved in the lives of our families. We need to be able to have that conversation with the wife, say, hey, what's bothering you? Could you just want to talk for a little bit? What? Okay, to be able to sit down and have coffee and put our phones down to listen, okay, to tell stories, to help. It's time to stop being silent. Take the story that God has written of your life and tell it to someone else so they can tell it to someone else and you have no idea the impact that it can have. Stop being silent. Thank you so much for tuning in to Trade Talks. If this podcast has been a blessing to you or you know someone who could be encouraged by it, please feel free to share it. And if you've not rated this podcast yet, you can do that as well to help us out as we just get the ball rolling with Trade Talks. Thank you so much and have a great day.